Our scripture reading today comes from Psalm 51. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. Just remember, there's a lot that goes after this. And there's uh, a whole psalm filled with the deep things of God, great theological truths that are found in Psalm 51. If you'd like to look at those in a little bit of depth, you go to our website. I think you can find my teaching on Psalm 51 from back in the summer uh, on somewhere on the website and take a look at that. But I want you to read this with me and follow along because there is a specific author who is writing about specific events, and he's writing about the truth of those things and about what he needs. The words of David, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, O God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. So cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be white as snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. A couple of weeks ago, I, I read a, a really fascinating uh, headline and a little blurb. Here's what happened. A man from California had a goal to, to run from Disneyland in California to Disney World in Florida. Actually, his plan was to run from the Pacific to the Atlantic, about 2,500 miles. And he had a goal. The goal was to do that, to bring attention to type 1 diabetes, which based on, if I got my math right, which he found that he had when he was about nine years old. He is 59 now, and he made the run, 2,500 miles. And so I read this, read the blurb. Then I went to the link beyond it and found another news story because I had all kind of questions about this, all kind of interest in about doing it. But basically, all, was, all that was said was it was all about what COVID has interrupted. Because in February of 2020, he started running. And in March of 2020, he had to stop. 
In September of 2020, he started running again, and somewhere around Christmas, he had to end again. Finally, he finished up in March last month, and he wound up at Disney World. And Disney World did their normal thing. They had a parade. Everybody was applauding as he was coming in. They took him straight to the front of the line of It's a Small, Small World. And they offered him anything he wanted at uh, Disney World. And a man after my own heart, he asked for a Mickey Mouse ice cream cone. <laughs> and that was the day. And then a couple of days later, he made it all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, 2,500 miles. That's the story I read. But the story I want to know is way different. I want to know how many miles a day? 30 miles a day is 83 days. Actually, 83.3 days. 20 miles a day is, what, 100, and 100 days. 25 miles a day would be 100 days. 10 miles a day would be 100 and, no, be, no. 20 miles a day would be 125 days. I know some of you are getting it all straight in your mind, and I'm not getting it straight in my mind. But you see my point? And so how many miles a day? And where did he spend the night? I mean, obviously, he didn't take a backpack. I don't guess, but he didn't. Nobody tells me this. I, in my mind, I envision he's married. He's got a wife who is supporting him. And she's, she's driving the RV at seven miles an hour for him to do the running, and then they camp at night. But I don't know any of that. And does he run 10 miles in the morning and 10 miles in the afternoon? Does he run it all at one time? You see where I'm going with all this. I just want to know the crucial parts of the information that affects mean. So I was frustrated with that. I'm still frustrated. I'm sure somebody in this congregation can find the rest of that story and those answers, and you know where to find me, and I'd love to know. To make it worse, I get up yesterday morning, first thing in my iPhone, I found a notification from a very popular app that says the earth is tilting on its axis. Well, it always does, but it meant more so. Well, now that's not good news. <laughs> and it says global warming is making the earth tilt on its axis. And I did exactly what they intended to do. Write a sensational enough headline and you will get clickbait and the advertisers will be happy and will pay us more for the advertisement. And that's what I did. They didn't give much information either. Uh, actually, they said polar caps are melting. That's creating a difference, and the earth has tilted slightly. Now, if you think about that, here's what they also said. By the way, 
Amazing, think about this, amazing. By the way, pumping water out of the ground, like we do, all over the country, all over the world, every day, every hour of the day, 24 hours a day, that'll also make the earth, the earth tilt just a bit. So it led me to think, well, if it tilts when the, the polar cap is melting, does it tilt back when it is freezing? And how much does it do this? Oh, by the way, one other thing. One other thing, do you know that today will be either longer or shorter than at some day in the past? Now, if that sounds confusing, it is confusing because that's what they said was going to happen, that it will affect the length of the day. So I wanted to know, does that mean it's long, the whole day, 24 hours? Is it longer? Is it shorter? They didn't answer. Will we have more daylight? Will we have less daylight? They didn't answer. I have no idea. They did say it was by milliseconds. A few milliseconds. My guess is you're not going to notice anything, and neither am I. So well, why do I say these things? Because there are all kinds of things we need to know that are crucial to know the truth. That there are gaps that need to be filled in. There's an understanding that we need to get to know what really matters. And what I want to do today is to talk with you about the truth about temptation and the truth about sin, and the truth about the grace of God. And frankly, there it could be whole years of sermons about any of the three, but I hope that I can say some things that are crucial about these things, and not things that I think or consider are think about, but things that are based on God's Word. So what does he say to us about the truth of temptation? Well, here's one of the things that is so clear, and, and I'll give you some biblical references to show why it is clear. The first is the truth about temptation is that temptation comes to us when we are at our most vulnerable times and at the weakest points in our lives. We can find that in Scripture. We find that again and again in Scripture. You can understand that that's what takes place, that temptation is going to come when where you are at your weakest point. And your weakest point and my weakest point may be very different. And in fact, everybody in here, we may, there may be differences in the way we are tempted. But that temptation will come at those places where we are weakest. And it will come at those times when we are most vulnerable. And when are those times? Well, one of them is when we are most successful. When things look better than any other time. 
when we can feel good about what we have done and and we can think, finally, I have arrived or I have grown up or I have done something. Think about David's life. This is written in response to Nathan the prophet saying to him, David, you are the man. He told him a parable. And and David had taken offense at, at what this man in the parable had done. And Nathan the prophet said to him, David, you are the man. You're the one who has taken advantage of, of another person. You're the one who called the de- caused the death of another person. When did all that happen? If you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11, you read about when it happened. David had, had spent a whole lifetime making the kingdom of Israel. Israel was at its greatest borders during the time of David, not Solomon, his son. Israel had come to its its greatest place under the leadership of David. And David was proud of himself. 2 Samuel chapter 11 says, In the spring of the year when kings go off to war. Why would kings go off to war in the spring of the year? Well, the weather was better. And because in the spring of the year in in Palestine, in the Middle East, the crops would be ripening. They would be planted over the fall and the winter. And they would be ripening in the field in the spring. And an army could feed itself on captured territory and captured crops. So in the spring of the year, when kings go off to war, David stayed at home, a victim of his success. Someone has said that the greatest difficulties in life are not when life is hard, but when life is easy. I remember Ronald Reagan saying this about his father. He said, he said, my father was an alcoholic. We suffered because of that. He said, but when times were hard, my dad would, would buckle down. He would go to work. He'd be there on time. He'd come home. He'd bring his paycheck. Everything would be good because he was doing his best. We needed him, and he would do it. He said, but when times got easy, He'd go off the rails. We wouldn't have food to eat. We wouldn't have a paycheck. We didn't know when he was coming home. We didn't know what he was going through. He said he could handle difficulty, but he couldn't handle success. And that is the truth about, for many of us, about temptation. That, that, that we have to be careful about success because Satan exploits our success and our pride because he takes advantage of those things. Think about the truth about, about temptation. It is that, that it will come at the time when we least expect it, and it will come about the, at the time of our greatest difficulty. And we have to handle and we have to work through it. It'll come at the worst possible time because it'll be at the time when you're dealing with this and this and this and all of this comes together and we deal 
with all of these things. Temptation will be subtle. Remember Genesis chapter 3 says of the serpent in the wilderness that the serpent was the most subtle, the most cunning of all the creatures that the Lord God had made. And so the temptation will be in that way. Now you may, you may think a strange example that I give about all of this. Temptation will come when at our weakest point and our most vulnerable time. But think about Jesus. Think about the gospel of Luke. Chapter 1, chapter 2 is about the story of Joseph and Mary, the birth of Jesus, going down into Egypt, all of those things, presenting Jesus before the Lord at the temple in Jerusalem. And then Luke chapter 3 begins Jesus as a full-grown man speaking the word of the Lord. And he goes down to Judea. He comes into the, into the place of John the baptizer. And John is baptizing Jews in the Jordan River for the repentance of their sins. He's calling to them to repent. And Jesus gets in the water with John. And John says to him, Jesus, you ought to be baptizing me and not me baptizing you. And Jesus says, let it be so to fulfill all righteousness. And he baptizes him. And Jesus comes up out of the water. Remember what happened? We talked about that not long ago. The heavens were opened. The voice of God from heaven. Quoting two Old Testament passages of Scripture. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God, like a dove, dwelling upon him. And then what happened? Jesus goes into the wilderness to pray. And to fast. And it is then that Satan comes to tempt him. People are hearing about him. People are knowing about him. He is being baptized. The heavens are open. The, the, the voice of God Quoting scripture, the spirit of God is upon him. He's doing good things. He is praying. He is fasting. And it is then that Satan comes with his subtle temptation. If you are the son of God. The word of God says... See how that works? By the way, the Bible says that Jesus was... It's not a bad illustration. It's not a bad association. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus was our great high priest who was tempted in every way as we are tempted, yet without sin. Temptation will come at your weakest point and come at your most vulnerable time. And the Word of God makes that clear. And if it could happen that way to Jesus, that he was temptation, tempted, then surely it will happen to you and me. And we must be 
wise and on our guard and, and vigilant in understanding what we're to do. Here is the truth about temptation. There's the second thing we need to know the truth about. We need to know the truth about sin. And here's what I would say about Scripture and about my own temptation and my own sinfulness. Sin will box you in. I, I, I don't read this in Scripture. I see examples of it in Scripture. And I know examples of it in your lives with whom I, people with whom I counsel and try to give spiritual guidance. And I know it in my life. Sin will botch you in and Satan will do everything he can to put you in the kind of situation where there is no good exit, none whatsoever. He'll put you in a place and where you, you have maybe one or two or three or four char uh, choices and every one of them is awful. And that there is no good exit exit. When we go on with sin, when we're not repentant of our sin, when we don't live close to God, when we're doing things on our own the way that we want to do them and we leave God out of the process, that's exactly what happens. There's a second truth about that being boxed in to sin. And that is, and that is this that Satan will allow us to get away with things until the worst possible time for it to be revealed and clear. Think about it in these lines. You're tempted. You succumb to the temptation, whatever it is, maybe something very small. In fact, the smaller it is in your eyes, maybe the more effective Satan's work. It's just a little thing. Couldn't matter to God very much. It won't hurt anything. And then Satan allows us to build upon it and we become prideful and we think that we have everything under control and we can do everything that we want to do, be. And then at the time that is the worst, maybe years later, it will, the truth will be revealed. And our testimony and our family and our lives and our livelihood will all be affected because we've been drawn into the net with secret sin, and it has allowed that to grow and grow. And at the worst time, Satan will make it open to everyone. You see that in sports figures over and over again. You see it in politicians over and over again. You see it in business people over and over again. And you see it in pastors and ministers over and over again. I think of these verses from the, from the letters of John the Apostle. I'm sorry, of James the Apostle. 
Here's what he says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Basic theology that we need to understand. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. It's the picture of of a fisherman casting a lure into the water and enticing the fish and then catching the fish. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And that is the verse to me that describes what I've just said about that, that, sat- that sin boxes us in. That Satan lets us go until that opportune time when we are caught and sin, having given birth, having given our desire, having given birth to sin, sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It is the truth about sin and the great truth that we need to understand about the danger that we're in. I, had to, I, had, I couldn't help but think about this last night. Met a bunch of new people, hadn't been to church before, and I could, right in the middle of my sermon, I thought to myself, I bet they wish I hadn't come on this day. <laughs> Talk about these things. But we all need the truth of God, and we need the warning that comes from his word. But in case you think you came on the wrong day, here's the third truth. It's the truth about the truth about grace. That grace abounds. That it overflows. Think about David again, the 23rd Psalm. You anoint my head with oil, which was a good thing, an anointing, a choosing, a encouraging. You anoint my head. It was healing. There's so much about oil that would be, would be good to be anointed by. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What did Paul say about grace? Paul said, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. It was so uh, amazing to say that, that there were some people who were saying, well, if grace abounds more and more, then maybe we ought to sin more and more. And isn't it amazing how we get the wrong truth? We get the wrong thing from the truth. In fact, here's what Paul says. If you were putting it into our language as clearly as you could, he would have said where sin abounds, grace superabounds. That God's grace is sufficient, that he gives us everything that we need, that he provides for us. Not simply forgiveness, but a way in which when we are tempted, we can overcome the temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and you put it in context. It is a description of what do we do when we are tempted. Well, there is a God who knows us and cares for us and loves us and wants to help us through the temptation. And he will be there for us, giving us what we need. The word that is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for temptation can mean testing, 
and it can mean temptation. And the testing could be any number of things. It's that passage of Scripture when people say, when they go through some kind of physical difficulty in life, they say, but God has promised that, that he won't put more on us than we can handle. And I've always thought that was playing pretty loose with that passage of Scripture, although I, the, the, the truth behind it, I think, is certainly there. God is always going to be with you, and you can always depend on God. And God never fails, and God will never let you go. And so when we face temptation, when there is secret sin, what are we to do? We, we have to repent. We have to turn away from our sin. We have to say, God, I'm tired of this. I don't want any more of this. I want to leave this behind. Repentance is essential. You may be going through this, but it, repentance is absolutely essential. And if you're going to deal with the temptations and the struggles of life, whether it's a test or it's a temptation, you must give yourself to the God who says he will be with you and he will give you what you need. Maybe that's a verse we all ought to memorize. When temptation comes, you deal with the little things first. We almost always think, well, it's only the big sins that are important. No, it's the little sins that lead to the destruction. Repentance is essential. Closeness to God is essential. To open your heart to the Spirit of God, to let God's Spirit speak to you, to, to, hear, to hear the gentle, kind Spirit of God. I think that's the right way to describe the Spirit of God in the life of a believer, gentle and kind and guiding and ready to direct us and to help us and encourage us. That's the Spirit of God, and to open yourself to His Spirit, to let Him be in, in charge. I, I have a new favorite song. It's that song we sang earlier, amazingly, amazingly. We didn't coordinate those two. But it is my new favorite song. It's about the goodness of God. God, you, you have always been faithful. God, you have always been so, so good. I love the phrase in there where it says, God's goodness is running after me. And you think about that and you say, well, is that right? Is God's goodness running after me? Psalm 23 that David wrote. Remember it ends, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know what it literally says in the Hebrew text? God's goodness and God's mercy pursue me. That God is 
tracking after us, that God wants to catch us. And, and when he catches us, what does he want to do for you? He wants his goodness, his mercy, his love to overflow you and overwhelm you with his goodness. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. God comes to us. He gave us his son. All of the scriptures written to get us to the grace part. Most likely, none of us would have ever read Genesis chapter 3 if it hadn't been for the grace part that we've read in, in Romans chapter 5. Mo for the most part, none of us would ever have gotten to the grace, had gotten to the understanding of sin as it is without the grace of God that makes it so clear that God loves us and cares for us and wants us to be His and to be with Him forever in a place in which there is no temptation and there is no sin. But the love and the goodness of God that will be with us forever and ever. That's the truth. Those are the details that I need so desperately to put life into focus about what it means, about how it works, and why God created me and why he created you and what he calls us to do. His goodness is running after you. And he wants you to open your heart to his goodness and to receive him and to follow him. And he wants you to deal with the temptations and the sin that you face and open your life unto God. Let's pray together, please. God, we thank you for your magnificent goodness. We thank you for the super abundance of your grace we thank you that when we come to you and we open our lives to you, that you do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could even think or imagine. God, I pray that you would draw us to you today and that people would open their hearts and their lives to you and follow after you and let you be Lord and Master, to let you be the one who gives your spirit to guide them, direct them, to lead them through life. God, please speak to our hearts, our lives this day. God, I pray for boys and girls who may be made a profession, who may be expressed their faith in you at vacation Bible school, but have not yet let the church know that, not yet been baptized. God, I, I pray for teenagers here. I thank you for these young men and young women with all of their potential and their lives ahead of them. God, please bless them to live for you and to follow you so that you can guide them all the days of their lives. And God, for every adult here, May we submit ourselves unto you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.